0: It didn't take long to realize that the less somebody pays you, the more of a pain in the ass they are. You've given me ample reason to hate you.
1: Whoa, that that might be the nicest thing you've said about me in quite some time.
0: The outlook for the next 18 to 24 months is just kind of blah.
1: Probably stick a large needle up my nose before I would use Google Meets.
0: I think there was a dig in there somewhere, but I don't know. I'm just going to leave it at that.
1: Sure, why not? Let's judge you.
0: Yeah, nervous laugh, nervous laugh.
1: Is it nap time yet?
0: Is it happy hour yet? That's where I'm at right now.
1: (laughs) Hey guys, welcome back to Results Junkies Podcast. Mr. Singh is driving his desk, as am I. We are uh, sitting here contemplating SPACs that just really don't make any sense at all to me. And I don't think they make sense to you, Paul, either. We're going to touch a little bit on that. We're going to talk about uh, the high cost of meetings and how one company is trying to uh, to deal with that. And um, uh, and if we get lucky and we have a little bit of extra time, we may talk about the, uh, the disappearance of unlimited free storage. How are you doing, man?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Uh, busy, you know, juggling chainsaws and... Um trying to navigate a sleep regression or two that's happening with one of the kids. So, um, but uh, this is the first week actually, when this episode drops, it'll be the first week of school. So uh, yeah, all the kids are getting excited and that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just living it hour by hour this week, man. <laughs> between lack of sleep and, <laughs> and other stuff, just living it hour by hour.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: How about you? you uh, no travel for three days. That must be a lifetime for you. <laughs>
1: I got to tell you, man, like, I, it's funny, uh, you know, it's this whole, like, as I take, a, as I zoom out a bit, the, the 10,000 foot level, you know, as, as cool as the Faroe Islands were, which I would recommend that they be on anybody's list. I think it's also worth, you know, noting that this is the first time I can ever recall that I visited five countries in one day, London, Luxembourg, uh, France, Germany, Denmark, all in one day.
0: I'm exhausted for you. But the pictures <laughs> made it, uh, the, they're worth all the pictures from the Faroe Islands.
1: Yeah. 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 Since we're not a travel podcast, the easiest way to sum it is find a way to get to the Faroe Islands, period. Full stop, end of sentence. Yeah. Also, puff- puffins. Yeah.
0: Also, puffins are cute.
1: <laughs> puffins are very cute. And it cost us literally $55 to take a helicopter ride to go see the puffins. What? 55 bucks per person.
0: That doesn't yeah. seem right.
1: Subsidized by the island, by the Faroe Islands.
0: Wait, because you're like a special guest or just.
1: No. No. That's the going rate. And oh, by the way, if you're a resident, it's cheaper. But yes, they're trying to encourage tourism. So it's fifty five bucks per person. Wow.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. Learn something new today. So so basically the gist of it is spend five grand to get there and then it's just fifty five bucks to, to
1: not even five grand. Only because you have thirty five kids would it cost five <laughs> grand. But but for normal folks it would cost, you know, less than that.
0: I think there was a dig in there somewhere, but I don't know. I'm just Hard to say. leave it at Hard to leave say. it at that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So do you want to start super spicy and talk about the, uh, the com spec or do you want to talk about Spotify and how they're working on clarifying the cost of meetings?
0: Let's, uh, let's, let's save the spice for later. Let's, uh, let's, let's ease All into right, the spice. spiciness.
1: Spice comes later. And just for folks who are tuning in, um, if you want to shoot us a note, show at resultsjunkies.com. We'll get that done. You will find him at Paul Singh on all of the social media networks. And you will find me at Pizza in Motion. Yeah, so you sent this before we recorded our last episode. And I thought it was really interesting. I'd still, you know, i love to see what the what the long-term effects of this are after releasing it. But the, the high level of this, and we'll link to the article in the show notes, is that Shopify has built a tool into their company employees' calendars that calculates a number of different variables, salary, length of meeting, how many people are going to be there, and tells them how much it would cost to schedule a meeting in company dollars. And the hope here is that the that their goal is to reduce the number of, of meetings overall.
0: I think this is so smart. I think, I think it's so smart. And I think if it's not already on the product roadmap for Google Workspaces or... Some of these other platforms that that provide you know uh, company wide email and stuff like that, like I'd be surprised because I, I think that having been on both sides of this, I I feel like most people, whether you've been an employer or employee, most people at some point are like, wait, I wish I could declare meeting bankruptcy and start over, but but <laughs> because it's not usually supported by the company, you know, it, nothing really changes. I guess to say it a different way. There's a lot of people out there that talk about like, oh, feel free to walk. I mean, I think Elon Musk has said uh, in in some of his own posts for his companies, like if if you don't feel like you're adding value, don't be afraid of walking out. Like, it's easy to say when you're the boss, but you know most employees don't feel like they can do that. So for Shopify to create this and like say publicly, like let's reset the thinking around this, I think that's really smart. And I I hope that more companies embrace it. And even if they don't, I'd be surprised if this feature set is not going to be on the Google Workspaces roadmap, um, and then and then by extension deployed at other companies. Um, so I'm surprised it took this long. <laughs> so
1: yeah, quoting from the article, they note that a an average meeting at Shopify consists of three people and lasts thirty minutes, and that that costs somewhere between seven hundred and sixteen hundred U.S. dollars. And so if we think about that, that's a nominal rate of call it 1500 to $3,000 an hour for three people to meet or an average person cost of between 500 and and $1,000 an hour in productivity and other assorted metrics that they're using. That's a, that's a, it's one heck of a number.
0: It, it adds up pretty quick. I mean, and actually, now that we're talking about this, I just popped over to Google Calendar. Do you guys use Google Workspaces uh, for, for your stuff? I believe you do, right?
1: Google Spaces?
0: Uh, Google Workspaces, you know, in terms of Gmail and Google Calendar and all that. Is that what you guys use for all your internal email? I remember you guys moving away from Rackspace Cloud about a year ago.
1: Yeah, we use we use Gmail um, and we use the calendars in Google Workspaces. That's about as far as we go. We We do not use Google Meets or any of that stuff. I would probably stick a large needle up my nose before I would use Google Meet.
0: I just noticed that uh, Google Calendar, I just switched over to that in another tab while we're talking. And on the left side it actually has time insights are now a new thing. So for example, it's telling me, oh yeah, interesting. So I don't um, I don't know if I'm going to get judged here, but like for example, for this week yeah, these are this week's numbers. Sure, why not? Let's judge you. Yeah, it's saying, for this week, I've been in six hours of one-on-one meetings, 14 hours in meetings that have been three or more guests. Most meetings are on Tuesdays. Daily average is two and a half hours. So actually, if you think about it, Google's already now got this data in there. Really now, if they just added in the cost, like if, if they end up getting people to input rough costs uh, or, or they build some API that lets you hook it with your payroll, all of a sudden, it'll, it'll probably be able to put dollars on all these meetings pretty quick. Which is amazing and terrifying now that I think about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would think so. The only thing the only piece that Google's really missing, which would be helpful, would be if they had some sort of feedback loop from the meeting pieces, you know, Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever. Yeah. In terms of participation. So, like for example, we use a software called Uber Conference. And they renamed themselves, but that's what I still call them. And at the end of each call, it tells you how long each person spoke, which I think is another potential helpful stat. The the speaking of itself, not necessarily indicating how much you're working or not working, but indicating how long you were actually on the call. Mm. So if you dropped off earlier or not, because like if you because you, as you well know, we schedule thirty minute calls that go an hour, and sometimes I schedule hour calls, and I'm like eight minutes in, going, Yeah, why is this meeting even on my schedule? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we need we need to reposition here.
0: Well, I think, I mean, I think the summary of the Shopify thing is, is that this is super cool. And I, I, I hope that it sort of gets embraced by more and more companies because again, I just, I think that like, you know, having been on both sides of the table, we've all been in meetings where we're like, why are we here? (laughs) This could have been an email or something like that. But for employees, it's, it's hard to then take any action on that. You know Um, I remember at one point somebody asked me, this is anecdotal, I guess, but I remember when we were first starting. when, you know, when Slack started to pick up uh, when COVID started, I remember being in a one-on-one with one of my direct reports and um, she said something like, hey, am I, am I allowed to use the away? You know, like, so Slack has this feature that hooks into your calendaring system. And then when, when it detects you're in a meeting, it sets you as away on your Slack so that people right. know that you might be slow to respond. Anyway, I just thought the most unexpected question came up from one of my direct reports back then, she was like, Hey, is it okay if I use this? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, I don't understand why you're asking. She's like, I just, I didn't know if it was okay for me to like mark myself as a way. (laughs) And, and, you know, it's like, you know, for, for you and I who have been employers, it's easy to kind of look at that and be like, why wouldn't it be okay? Of course it's okay. But then you look at it from the employee side and unless, you know, no, you know, nobody wants to like be the first one to like potentially get in trouble for that. So I don't know. It's, I'm not articulating it very well, but I hope that more companies sort of embrace this idea that Shopify is sort of pushing, and and even if they don't, I, I have a feeling this is on the Google Workspaces roadmap, just given what I just saw when I clicked over there uh, a second ago. So this will be good. You know, arm everybody with data and say, do we really need to spend $4,000 for this meeting? <laughs> that's that's actually a much easier debate, by the way. Like, it's it's hard to say, hey, hey Ed, do we think we need this meeting versus... Hey Ed, listen. This meeting looks like it's going to cost us four grand. Are you sure you want it?
1: Yeah, I think the financial metrics are definitely something to think about because, uh, you know, we, as a general rule in our company, we look at our meeting calendar every ninety days, all of our standing meetings, and decide whether or not they, you know, they should still have the place they have on the calendar. And I won't say we make changes every quarter, but I would say that you know, typically we look at those. We also look at the reports that we run on a quarterly basis as well to decide if those reports are still valid. Because I, I, I tend to. I think there's also a lot of productivity time tied up in reports that get run that are either obsoleted because of some other piece of software or people just aren't using. Mm-hmm. So, those are mm-hmm. two things that we focus on from a productivity standpoint on a fairly regular basis.
0: But you guys like um, I obviously don't share anything that you know can't be public, but like how Given sort of the brick and mortar nature of, you know, the underlying companies, you know, in terms of five guys and stuff like that, like, are there a lot of meetings for that? I mean, most of your meetings are internal though, right? Like, you know, hey, accountant, what do their books look like? Is that kind of what most of your meetings are?
1: Um, There definitely are a chunk of those. We're going through an accounting integration change right now. So we're making a software shift. So that's, that's certainly taking up quite a bit of time. Um, There's meetings with five guys about different efforts. We're renegotiating the DoorDash contract right now, and I've been involved in that. And then there are what I would call review meetings. So we have a Friday call, a Friday morning call, and any general manager in, in, in any of the restaurants that had a complaint that week from a customer, we all get on the phone together and we talk about the complaint and try to figure out if there are things that we can learn from it. Um, those, I would say, are probably the three buckets of sort of uh, you know calls that we have, and those change over time. When we first started that complaint call, I'd have six or seven general managers on it because we had a lot more complaints, and now, like this past, earlier today, I had one. Mm. And that's much more typical today. Yeah, so that call, that, that call at some point may go away because not that we've licked the problem or like we're still going to mess up people's orders, but the call itself may not be an effective use of all the senior leadership time if they're only going to be talking with one person and not as a group.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see what Shopify does. I mean, it, their numbers don't lie. I mean, they're they're doing pretty well from a revenue standpoint and growth standpoint. So um, I'm sure when they say yeah. stuff, people are going to take notice. So we'll, we'll kind of see what happens there.
1: And now we get to get spicy.
0: Oh, all right. Let's do it.
1: Let's do it. So I will tee this up. And gosh knows I have plenty of spicy things to say about it as well. But I'm, I'm going <laughs> to let you, let you have first crack at this.
0: Oh, so chivalrous of you. Thank you.
1: I am. I am. So you'll see a link to this in the show notes. For folks who have listened to the show for a while, this company will sound familiar. Companies Better.com, which is a softbank-backed company. And the CEO was famous, infamous for... Letting almost a thousand employees go via a Zoom call back in 2021. They decided to go public using a SPAC, Special Purposes Acquisition Company, just sort of like a, a reverse way to go public, if you will. And on the first day of trading, they were down 93% and appeared to have settled in around there uh, as well. And in the, in the tweet that you had sent, started the day worth $4 billion, which you know, clearly they weren't worth that much. But I think the other thing that's worth noting here is that this their primary business is the mortgage industry. I'm going to put a pin in it there for, for you to take a swing at this ball.
0: I just, I don't mean to laugh, but I'm going to laugh. I mean, this is just like, it's absolutely crazy. And I don't know what part is the craziest part. A lot of it just seems crazy to me. Like, I don't know that, uh, you didn't just, I just imagine the only people that actually enjoyed yesterday or whenever this thing went public, uh, is probably the people that shorted it. (laughs) (laughs) like those guys are probably really happy. And for everybody else, you know, whatever liquidity they hope to get is gone. I don't know. I'm, I'm obviously armchair quarterbacking here, but like, what did they think was going to happen? You know, it's like, you know, you and I living in the DC area, we're, we're sort of in this uh, insulated microcosm where generally speaking, doesn't matter what things cost, people will buy them just with so much government and defense and so many headquarters here, like there's, there's a lot of like price insensitivity, you know, but for the rest of the company, a country, when you're talking about a 7% or 8% average interest rate, home prices skyrocketing over the last 18 months or something like that, like the fundamentals just don't feel good. You know, like what, it, it seems like high level buying behavior is down year over year. Like this probably wasn't the time.
1: Well, and it's not just a buying behavior. I mean, buying behavior is definitely down, But I, and I won't put you on the spot. I'll just use my own data. So we have a mortgage on our house and I, I might not get the rate exactly right, but I'm pretty sure our rate for our 30-year fixed mortgage is 2.625%.
0: I think I'm in the same boat. I think I bought... Yeah, I closed this house in March of 2020, like a week before the lockdown without knowing about lockdowns. And I think we locked in like 2.25 or something like that.
1: Yeah, we, we were actually re, refinanced during the lockdown while rates were relatively low. And look, I mean, maybe I don't want to live here some someday. Um, that's not the case today. We love our house the whole bit. But, but, the, but the fact that rates are at a 20 plus year high, like I think the last stat I saw was rates haven't been this high since 2001 or 2000 or something like that. So 20 plus years. And rates, you know, functionally are, call it 8% right now for a mortgage. If I were to buy a, if I were to sell this house today and buy another one, I'm tripling my interest rate. I just don't want to sell. And so that's, in my opinion, that's artificially constraining the housing market, which should make a company like better.com that focuses on mortgages. It should make it really hard for them to grow. Yeah. So the only thing I can think of here, and if I had started, I would have taken the same swing that you took at this in terms of just not really understanding it. Only thing I can think of is they literally are out of choices and it's either this or shut the lights off because yeah. I can't, I just can't think of a reason why this would make sense in this market.
0: I, th- yeah. So So now that I've gotten my emotions out, I would say that like, I would think that this was one of those heavily suggested activities that the investors really wanted to have happen. Does that make sense? Like, I uh, I might get in trouble for using names, but let's just use them anyway. Like Rackspace, the hosting company, Rackspace went public in 2008 during the crash. And it made no sense, but when you really think about it from a venture standpoint, all of the institutional investors that were in that company were on the end of their fund life cycles. And in 2008, when all their LPs, just like the rest of us, were all spread thin with the crash, they were all demanding liquidity. So there were no more extensions available to the venture funds. And so right. they had to force Rackspace point. to go public. Uh, you know, again, I wasn't inside those deals, but like, that's the only scenario that makes sense, right? Why, why would you go public in, in, a, in a crash? And that kind of feels like maybe what happened here too. It's kind of like, we got to get our money out or at least have the ability to try to go liquid in some way. And uh, this seems like the least worst option. So, all right, we're going public. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, the people that get screwed are the employees. That's the really sad part, right? Like it's, yes. you know, that's the sad part, is that all those people that, that, you know, made it through the layoffs and all that probably had some sort of equity. And now, even though they've gone public, that equity is worth nothing. Despite lockups and all that, it's probably worth nothing and um, unless something really changes over the next couple of years, like it's still going to be years before their stock appreciates to something meaningful again, if it ever does at all. That's the really tragic part is that the real loser of the better, you know, IPO is the employees, <laughs> nobody else.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it underlines how you know the, the market conditions that exist today are, even though it feels like we're quote unquote heading for a potential soft landing or, or things of that nature, the reality is, is that there are clearly success stories. NVIDIA, that was one of the things that we talked about potentially talking about today. There are clearly success stories out there amidst these massive challenges. Whether it's performance-based, the company did something wrong, or if it's market-based, you know the interest rates shifted, you know, in a different direction. And it was, you know, they used this example. I was listening to the All In podcast before you and I recorded, and they talked about this. They talked about the multifamily housing market, and I thought it was interesting because we've talked a lot about commercial, uh, but they talked about the multifamily housing market where the rent rolls are fine because the people don't want to move out because they can't buy a house, but people bought these multifamily homes as investments. And when they bought them, they bought them with some, you know, drastically reduced interest rate when the market was better. And typically those those sorts of loans are not 30 year loans for investment properties. Right. They could be five year loans. Right. And so now those loans are coming due. And when you penciled out the note in the beginning and your your profit loss in the building and you've calculated in which make up a number, 4% interest rates. And what you could, you know, collect for rents, it made sense. And then you fast-forward to today and the market says, well, we're going to charge you 12 or 15% now. And you look at it and go, I just can't. Yeah. And there's no, way to, there's no way to work it. And I think, I'm guessing you've probably seen some of these stories of some of the distressed property funds that are starting to get built up where there are venture capitalists who are raising money to buy distressed assets, whether they're commercial or residential. And when you look at that and the potential for distressed assets, we continue to hear these stories about property owners who are not negotiating with the bank they're right. just handing them the keys and saying like there's just no way like yeah. we can't get out from underneath this yeah. like you take it have fun we're going to go start the next That's net. right. Yep. You know, I think it's a little bit of a misnomer to say that the economy is fine. I would say, you know, net net if you're at 10,000 feet it looks fine. Yeah. But there are definitely large pockets of turmoil.
0: Yeah. And, and, and all this sort of connects back to the industries we're, we're all in, right? You know, it's like, I think I, I can't remember if I tweeted this, uh, depending on when this episode goes out, I guess it'll be last week, I tweeted something about founders saying, hey, man, I want to raise money and investors saying, we'll get in line, but probably not, <laughs> you know, <b- laughs> because there's a lack of liquidity. And, and on top of that, less risky, better options to, to park money. Yeah. And so there's, there's this sort of drive to profitability, or at least should be this drive to profitability for everybody, because it's harder and harder to finance speculative bets with other people's money now. Yeah, it really is. Which actually, I think, is a good segue to this uh, topic about Dropbox, if you're up for it, you know, um, in terms of Dropbox dropping
1: their free plan. and Yeah, the article also notes that Google has slowly retreated from this verbiage, which I, I wasn't aware of. We are a Dropbox customer, and I always thought it was odd that they would say, for Dropbox for Business, like, just... If you need more space, let us know. And it was essentially unlimited. You had to request it, but there was nothing in the terms that said you couldn't. And so now Dropbox has come out with language limiting this. It's still massive. Each new user that you add to a Dropbox or business account comes with five terabytes of information. So that's a lot of storage. But they've said for a number of reasons, one being crypto mining and some other stuff, that they're just they're eliminating unlimited storage?
0: I think that I, uh, again, armchair quarterback here, right? I think this problem has probably been on their books for years. Like, you know, for me, you know, having been in data centers and and infrastructure for, you know, a long time now, the fact of the matter is cost of infrastructure essentially goes closer and closer to zero every day. I, I remember when we got our first network attack storage 20, what is it, 2023? So, 25 years ago, I bought my first network attached storage. Anecdotally, I remember it being like one terabyte was like a hundred grand or something like that. I mean, you know, just to have the device. And now I can go on Amazon right now and probably get a uh, one terabyte SSD card for my kid's Kindle for like fifty dollars, you know. Yeah. So the so the the where I'm going with this is is that like the cost of infrastructure, the cost of storage, is effectively zero and gets in well, it gets closer and closer to zero every day. So where I'm going with this is, is that I suspect this problem for Dropbox and for Google has been there for a long time, and the only reason it's taking uh, a front seat now in terms of their their strategy is because of this topic we just talked about. Public market sentiment is driving everybody towards profitability. And when you think about profitability, every little bit counts now, you know? And and I think for Dropbox, like, it'll be interesting to see a couple quarters from now what this does to their, to their profitability. Probably not going to make it, you know, 10x better, but it might put half a point or a point of profitability on the books for them to play with. That's pretty big, you know, when the numbers add up. So I guess what, poorly articulated, but I'm just saying, like, I, I think this is more about, where we are in the economy and what everybody's outlook is for the next 18 to 24 months. And that's why that this project is making noise and why it's interesting. And it's less about abuse. I think, does that make sense? Like it's not, even though in the article they're like, oh, it's the abuse and the crypto guys and whatever. I think that's just PR. I think I think this is really more about the pessimistic to mediocre outlook that everybody has uh, over the next couple of months and quarters. But what do you think?
1: I'll admit, I am... A bit surprised. Well, I would say that way. I would say I I would be surprised if it if it had that much of a of an impact on on future earnings. Just because I feel like storage has gotten so cheap. But I, but I am I am still surprised that unlimited has lasted as long as it did. Um, just because you had to figure there were going to be abuses, had to be. And you know when when push comes to shove and it's tougher to make money, we we look for ways to close those loopholes. And so they're closing those loopholes now. But I. I Boy, I mean, it it just surprises me that it would have lived this long because we've had unlimited Dropbox storage for years, fif- probably the beginning, fifteen years, yeah. a decade. I mean, it, I, like I'm pretty sure you and I knew each other when you know when we had Dropbox for business.
0: Yeah, Dro- Dropbox was one of the first, if I'm not mistaken. I, I mean, I should probably Google this, but Dropbox was one of the first big Y combinator companies. I mean, so it must have been like 2008. Yeah, I don't remember that, yeah. Yeah, I want to say, again, I I should probably Google it, but I think it was like 2008, 2009 when Dropbox was part of YC. Maybe it was a little earlier than that, but yeah, I mean, it's been around for a while. And, And I should just clarify, by the way, the cost of the storage is still close to zero and getting closer and closer to zero by every day. I bet you really where the cost savings or the the profitability is going to come out of this project is that they don't have to support those free customers on the support side of things. That's an interesting point.
1: Yeah, I, I, I wonder how much the average account is supported. Uh, you know, we, we use very little support from from dropbox but i don't know if we're at all typical well
0: because you're a rational human being
1: whoa that well, that might be the nicest thing you've said about me in <laughs> quite say, some time yeah, you're yeah. saying this after i just visited five countries in a day and decided to fly halfway around the world
0: you can be rational and crazy uh in different spheres of your life
1: you heard it here first.
0: yeah i was gonna say but look you're rational like you i think that if all of a sudden your dropbox stops working you'll probably tinker with it and restart your computer before you look i i I have visceral PTSD I shouldn't use that word because real people have real PTSD but like I have a visceral emotional reaction to way back in my first company when I was selling web hosting mm-hmm. all of us have probably made this mistake but I'll just kind of admit it's like I remember back in the late 90s, mid 90s when I was selling websites as a kid I'm like yeah, it'll be eight dollars a month and I thought God if, if, you know everybody can just give me eight dollars And it didn't take long to realize that the less somebody pays you, the more of a pain in the ass they are. right and so i imagine that's what this is like is that the free tier probably doesn't cost much to dropbox on the infrastructure side like it didn't for me way back then but the second order costs were massive like
1: that's a fair point
0: if that free customer even called you one time you were upside down for the life of that account Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know. I think I'm sure I Dropbox didn't have, I think, uh, last I checked Dropbox doesn't do phone support unless you're a paying customer, but email support is still there. There's the cost of then managing that email support and da da. and you're almost better just saying, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. I mean, Strata, we just let, uh, at the time of this, so again, we're recording this, uh, end of August, um, this will go out. Yeah. End of August. I think last month, we actually let go of one of our clients because if you looked at the account on paper, it made money. But then when you actually looked at the, the labor cost of supporting them and you know, all the stuff that was required to make that account go, that particular account was upside down from a profitability standpoint. So mm. you know, from a leadership standpoint, it's always hard to let go of an account and say, I'm sorry, we can't help you. But at the same time, we had to think about employee morale. You know, the people that were supporting that account were getting frustrated. And then we had to think about the overall business. And so I didn't even think of that when we brought up this topic. Because, yeah, I mean, we let go of a pretty good client, you know, just because it was upside down. It's something I think about a lot now. Now that I say this out loud, it's something I think a lot about. It's like, you have unit profitability or account profitability, and then you have business profitability. From the industries that you and I are in, venture capital tends to be used to, you know, make a company survive, like if it's not profitable at the company level. And for a few years there, people were using venture dollars to support upside down unit economics as a land grab, right? Like you remember those old, um, sure. uh, like all the competitors to DoorDash and Uber Eats, but also those, uh, those home clothes washing companies where they would like pick up a bag from your house and drop it off and stuff like that. Right. Everybody used venture dollars to go upside down on the unit economics, hoping that they got enough land grab. In
1: the name of growth.
0: Yeah. In the name of growth, yeah. hoping that at some point it would right side itself, but it d- doesn't work that way. If you're not profitable at the individual customer level or account level, fix that first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, please. So, please, I'm begging you.
0: I would not want to be on the the Dropbox PR team right now, but you know, I guess it's a, it's the right time. Like everybody else is raising prices now too, right? And and squashing shared passwords, Netflix, Disney, everybody's doing it now. Yeah, and I and I, I gotta believe that the biggest reason they're doing it is because the outlook for the next eighteen to twenty four months is just kind of blah. <laughs>
1: it's a it's a good time to get your unit <laughs> metrics in shape because you don't know what's coming in the next you know, 18 months for sure. It could be fine, but you know, what, what better time to get control of your unit economics?
0: Let me ask you this. I know we got to wrap here in a second, but let me ask you this. What's your gut call on this? I know we didn't talk about this in the preview or pre-show, but let me see where you go with this. Cause I have some thoughts too. So here I am on the investor side of things and I'll just speak for myself. And then you tell me if it's the same for you this last year. So we're at the end of August right now, this last year has been the lowest amount of distributions I've seen from our portfolio companies since like 2010 for me. Like in other words, less MA, less IPOs, everybody's holding yeah. on to cash. There's very few secondary transactions. So like now being a year into it, it's like it's really starting to put dampers on how many new investments I might want to do or or things like that. So I have some thoughts here, but What's your gut reaction on the outlook? When do you think you know, the market gets better enough to see M&A and or IPOs for people like you and me to, to start seeing cash flow back?
1: I, I think it will be with the first rate decrease when the Fed decreases rates for the first time. And th- you know, last I've heard, there's still chatter that they may raise rates one more time. So I'm going to guess a little bit and say probably at least... 9 to 12 months and could be longer. Maybe the outside of it would be 18 months.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, this may be the one time ever where you're more optimistic than me. <laughs> I, I think that, like, at this point, I don't think... I. I the part I agree with you is that it's probably going to get a little slower. There's probably going to be one more rate hike somewhere in there. But I think that it's probably mid-2025 or later before we start to see the... The shift uh, start to like hit enough that M and A really picks up for you know middle companies. And again, we're, I'm at, I'm talking about this in the context of when will you and I as investors start to get liquidity on some of our companies? You know, and I, right. I, I think I think that's at right. least two years away at this point. It's just going to be a while.
1: I think I would like. I think I would largely agree with that time frame because I think and maybe I was answering the wrong question. I think I do think we'll start to see activity start to happen again once that first rate decline happens but it's going to take time for that engine to spool up yeah. and the first few deals everybody's going to be waiting for somebody else to close the deal and see what number they close as. Yeah, I, you know your numbers wouldn't surprise me.
0: I love it Alright, well mental note, we're checking back in two years to see uh, where we're at on this
1: <laughs> What if you don't like me in two years?
0: Uh, I find that hard to believe I think uh, you've given me ample reason to hate you in ten years or whatever More, it's been, maybe more than that I'm kidding, man. I can't
1: quit you. Just remember, if you ever <laughs> if you ever hate me, your wife will not let you quit me. So.
0: Uh, well, I was going to say, yeah. There's really no chance between my kids who love donuts and my wife who adores you more than me. I mean, I'm basically I'm basically going to get the boot before you do. So
1: <laughs> you're stuck. I'm yeah, stuck. You're kind of stuck.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, nervous laugh, nervous laugh. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'm glad you're home, and uh, I love chatting with you. So uh, I can't quit you. <laughs>
1: All right, man. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. See, ya. See ya. The preceding was produced in association with Crooked Path Production.